you know, with AI, like, like with many things in life, you know, a lot of people look at their role and they say, oh, no, 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 no. AI could do other people's jobs, but not mine. Not at all. Of course not. Right. And, and the truth is, is that at the moment, if you deal with information as your medium, as opposed to something physical, uh, what I like to say is if you deal in bits versus atoms, your job is very likely to be impacted by AI. And that absolutely applies to leadership. Welcome to Sidecar Sync, your weekly dose of innovation. If you're looking for the latest news, insights, and developments in the association world, especially those driven by artificial intelligence, you're in the right place. We cut through the noise to bring you the most relevant updates with a keen focus on how AI and other emerging technologies are shaping the future. No fluff, just facts and informed discussions. I'm Amit Nagarajan, chairman of Blue Cypress, and I'm your host. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Sidecar Sync. We're super excited to be back with you again, talking about all things innovation and AI specifically. It's going to be an exciting week with several topics that Mallory will talk about in a minute that are, uh, I think, going to be super relevant to all of the associations that are tuning in. Uh, before we get going, though, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors that help bring this podcast to you. First up is BettyBot. BettyBot is a chatbot for associations that learns your unique content and is able to have conversations with your members, with the public, with anyone you want, with the full knowledge of your organization. Think about it as something similar to ChatGPT, but trained on the expertise within your association. Learn more at bettybot.ai. Next up is Symmetry. Symmetry, spelled C-I-M-A-T-R-I dot com, is a consulting organization that helps associations on their AI journey. Symmetry's AI roadmaps help associations figure out where they should go with AI. In under 30 days, Symmetry's expert team will help your association figure out the best roadmap for you. AI is changing so fast, so the roadmaps cover a 24-month period. Learn more at symmetry.com. That's C-I-M-A-T-R-I dot com. All right, that's it for our sponsors. Thanks again to them. So Mallory, it's a big week for us. So we've got Digital Now coming up this week. Indeed, we do. We're both pretty busy. We leave tomorrow, or at least I leave tomorrow. What about you? Yeah, I'm leaving bright and early and heading to Denver, Colorado. Super excited about that. For those of you listening, Digital Now is a conference hosted by Sidecar. This year, we'll be diving deep on AI, of course, data, any other topics, Amis, that they're going to cover? Yeah, we're going to be going deep on a variety of AI topics. It's, it's basically, you know, two and a half days of AI for associations content. Uh, excited for those that are going to be there. It's not too late to jump on a plane and head out there. You know, some of the best moments in life are when you're being spontaneous. So as you listen to this, if you're feeling left out, you know, Denver, Colorado is a place you can get to and uh, come join us at the Gaylord in Aurora, Colorado, just outside of Denver. Uh, and for those of you that aren't able to attend in person, we will be recording the main stage sessions and making that available offline within about a month after the Digital Now event wraps up. Well, by the time you're listening to this, everyone, it might be too late. It will probably be Thursday, which is the first full day of Digital Now. But hey, I've heard of crazier things. So if you feel so inclined, hop on a plane and join us. Follow us on social media. We'll be posting about our sessions real time. And like Amit said, we will have recordings of all the sessions after the fact. And I'm sure we will be discussing Amit and I in depth all of the great combos that we have. 
Let's get started with our first topic for today's episode, which is AI agents and companions. So last week, we chatted briefly about AI agents. We talked about different activities that agents could execute on, like booking a hotel, a dinner reservation, or directly posting a blog I created to our website, all things that would be pretty beneficial in my own life. Inspired by that combo, I wanted to highlight a new tool that isn't quite an agent, but seems close to one, and that's Zoom's new AI companion. You can think of Zoom's AI companion as your generative AI assistant, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the features they released in their highlight. Zoom's AI companion offers real-time meeting transcription. This allows for quick reference and review, ensuring no detail is missed and everything discussed can be acted upon. It can even catch you up if you're a few minutes late to a call. I don't know about you, Amith, but that's really (laughs) exciting for me. Uh, The fact that you can hop on the call and not have to say, sorry, I was late. What were you talking about? It gives you a brief summary as you join the call. I think that's really cool. It also gives you an analysis of participant engagement, identifying key moments in a meeting that can help you understand which topics resonated the most. It can suggest action items based on your discussion, which automates the task of noting down next steps, ensuring quick follow-up and action. And you also have the ability to ask the AI what you missed. For busy C-suite executives who might have to step away or multitask, this feature ensures that you can stay in the loop without having to rewatch the entire meeting. I, for one, am really excited about this tool and hope we see something similar with Microsoft Teams very soon. Amit, we talked a little bit about AI agents last week. Now we're talking about this AI companion. What is the difference between an AI companion and an AI agent? You know, terminology is a fun, fun topic, and it's kind of like the term artificial intelligence itself. Uh, It has a bit of a uh, sliding scale to it, and it also is a moving target. What I mean by that is, you know, what someone calls artificial intelligence today in late 2023 is very different than what someone would have called AI even five years ago. And so I, I prefer a definition of AI, which is the science of making machines smart. I like that definition because it's intentionally somewhat vague. Smart is a relative term. It's relative to what you expect the computer to not be able to do. That's probably AI, right? So some of this stuff is definitely in that category. Real-time meeting transcription, 100% AI, right? You would not expect a computer to be able to do that even a year ago. And then to your question of what's an agent and what's not, to me, it's just something that can take action on your behalf. So the idea that an agent lives within Zoom I would say it's kind of getting close. You know, if Zoom's companion were to say, here's your action items that you agreed on, would you like me to go ahead and schedule the follow-up meeting that you talked about, right? So maybe there was an action item in the meeting that the team talked about. And one of those things was we need to schedule a follow-up. And so the agent automatically goes to connect to a tool like Doodle, for example, and sends out several options to to everyone in the call and organizes and and confirms an updated meeting time. That might've been one of the action items. Another action item might have been to send a payment to a vendor, right? So the AI agent basically connects to a financial system and makes a request for procurement to uh, pay an invoice or something like that. I'm, I'm making these things up on the fly, but the idea would be that for agency to really exist, you'd want the tool to actually go beyond reporting on what needs to happen and actually helping you take those steps. I suspect that Zoom's tool, and by the way, I I guarantee you with all the major platforms, Microsoft Teams and Slack as well, they'll have these capabilities baked in within months. I have no doubt about that. So to me, uh, it's a bit of a fuzzy line in terms of what's agency and what's just a great generative AI tool. But to me, it's really like, is it taking a meaningful level of action on your behalf? 
That definitely makes sense. I watched the quick highlight video that they had on the Zoom article, and it looked like it would craft a response for you, obviously using generative AI based on action items. I'm not sure if it actually executed on those and sent the message, but would you say if it crafted and sent the message, follow-up message, let's say, to a colleague, that would qualify as agency in your opinion? I think so. And I think that's kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? Basic communication, sending the meeting notes out, uh, and even perhaps some of the simple things like scheduling a meeting. And that's where an incumbent vendor like a Google or a Microsoft is going to have a really big advantage because if you're in Microsoft Teams, we already know about your calendars because that's part of the Microsoft infrastructure. Zoom has a little bit bigger hill to climb. Of course, there's integrations uh, where they can access that information. Um, but I think all these companies are going to have really powerful agents that are capable of doing really what you'd normally call upon an assistant to help you with. And the thing that's interesting too is, Mallory, if, if you and I both have agents that know us and know our preferences in our calendars, you know, we can basically have those agents talk to each other, right? And each of those agents takes actions. My agent might say, hey, Mallory's agent, you know, can you meet at 5 p.m. to record this podcast? And your agent might say, no, that's really inconvenient that day because it knows about your calendar, but perhaps it knows your preferences and you don't want to meet with me at that time of day. So it's 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 hard to say, but it's I think the agents can be a really powerful thing and, and it's going to be an evolving thing over time where what you consider a really interesting quote unquote agency now, you'll take for granted 12 months from now. I'm wondering how far off, and this is obviously a guess, a prediction, how far off do you think we are from an agent that I don't have to supervise? I think that the technologies basically already here from a technology perspective at the raw capabilities level. Um, right now, it is possible to create an agent that takes on really a, a wide array of tasks. You know, I could create an agent on my end with some basic, basic technical know-how that scheduled meetings for sure, but also did a lot of other stuff. It could engage in e-commerce online, purchase products. It could, you know, book airline tickets. It could do a whole bunch of stuff. Because if you think about the world of APIs or application programming interfaces, which there are literally millions of, there's this, you know, really this explosion of APIs that's happened over the last decade where most websites or systems have a mechanism through which developers can write code to interact with their tools. You know, CRM systems have APIs, you know, most software products have APIs. That opens up the door for AI to connect to those things because AI very, is very good at connecting to APIs. Uh, so I think the technology is there today to answer your question, but not for an end user, not for an end user to say to the AI in natural language, hey, do all these things. I believe what will, will be there by this time next year, by the time we're talking about Digital Now 2024, I would be shocked if there weren't some mainstream AI agents that could take, basic, take on basic tasks. A good example of a commercial one that's being touted as a true personal assistant is Inflection AI. They have an AI called Pi, uh, which anyone can go check out. And actually, just recently, they announced that Pi is capable of talking to the internet, which is, of course, an important step. Uh, and soon, Pi will be able to make phone calls for you, so you can just talk to it. It can call hotels to see if they have rooms available that not just are available, but perhaps suit your preferences. Make tables, reservations at, for tables at restaurants, and, and a lot of other things that might seem like PA slash EA responsibility, but soon it'll go far beyond that. Well, it's written in stone. It's written in podcasting. You're saying by next year at this time, you think there will be some mainstream agents. Yeah. And I think the question you're asking about autonomy too is, is really also, a lot of that is, it's ultimately from a technological perspective, could I write to an AI and say, here's everything I want you to do. 
You know, we were talking earlier about the idea of, oh, you're thinking about potentially relocating to another city. And in that process, there's a whole series of steps you need to go through and all the things you want to do. Do you want the AI to literally do every one of those steps for you? And all you have to do is say, hey, give me the address. I'm going to show up there. And maybe you don't have to do that. It'll even order the Uber. You take the Uber, you go to the airport and you get on the plane and then you have another Uber waiting for you where you get there and it takes you to your new house. I don't know if you want that or not, right? There's a little bit too much agency delegated to the AI. I wouldn't ask a human assistant to do that for me, much less an AI yet. But I think that's more of a comfort level thing. In the business context, you know, we might say something like, oh, um, we want to book a venue for an upcoming event. Associations run a lot of conferences. And one of the processes they have to go through is venue selection. And that's a very labor-intensive effort. They have to document the requirements they have for the event. They have to then typically send out an RFP, sometimes to dozens of cities or dozens of properties, depending on the size of the event, pull back all of those responses, evaluate them, compare them, and then, of course, schedule site visits, go do the site visits. There's a lot of steps. Could an AI agent dramatically reduce those number of steps? Sure. Would you want to remove the human judgment from the process? I wouldn't think so, uh, and I don't think most people would agree with that, but I think the human judgment could be focused more on the soft part of it, the, the actual experiential side, as opposed to the mechanistic side of sending the RFP, collecting the responses, and so on. So I think there's, there's interesting opportunities across the board in the association uh, business process world. That leads to the next subtopic, still talking AI agents, but specifically AI agents in managing positions or even C-suite roles, which sounds a bit controversial for sure. We mainly discussed agents doing kind of one-off tasks, but it's creeping into the realm of possibility that AI could take on C-suite roles one day, maybe even soon. With AI agents potentially stepping into such significant roles, there's a new conversation emerging, the need for laws to govern their actions and decisions. It's not just about automating tasks or executing one-off activities anymore. We're looking at AI agents being involved in strategy, decision-making, and even leadership, which brings up a host of questions. How do we regulate AI in such roles? What happens when an AI-driven decision goes wrong? Who's accountable? And for associations, which thrive on personal connections, shared values, and understanding, how does AI fit into the leadership equation? It's a rapidly evolving landscape, and the idea of introducing laws to oversee AI in leadership roles adds a whole new layer of complexity. So, Amit, I just want to hear your initial thoughts on this idea of an agent not just doing kind of these EAPA tasks that we've been discussing, but actually leading a company. Yeah, I, I think it's super interesting. You know, with AI, like, like with many things in life, you know, a lot of people look at their role and they say, oh, no, 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 no. AI could do other people's jobs, but not mine. Not at all. Of course not, right? And and the truth is, is that any at the at the moment, if you deal with information as your medium as opposed to something physical, uh, what I like to say is, if you deal in bits versus atoms, your job is very likely to be impacted by AI, and that absolutely applies to leadership. It applies to many aspects of leadership. You know, once again, I would kind of go back to what I said about. The PA example, do you really want a, a leadership bot to make all the decisions for you and execute on them? I think probably not. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want that. I would want to spend more time with my people. If I'm a leader that had a team of folks, rather than worrying about the, again, the, the, the kind of the mechanistic parts of like, you know, gathering data on like performance evaluations and like comparing it to the last year and uh, uh, comparing performance 
on a relative basis and looking at comp studies. I'd love for an agent to go and dig into those things and help me make decisions. Uh, but I want to spend more time with my people. I want to connect with them on a deeper level. I want to understand them better. I want to use the time I'm reclaiming from the things where I used to spend, even with assistance, right? I used to spend a lot of time doing those kinds of things before I even meet with someone then I think that's a real big, really big opportunity to be a better leader. You know, to me, leadership is about how you help people become the best version of themselves, whatever that is. And so, yes, a bot can help with that. But to me, I, I, I feel that way. Again, I started off by saying I have a high bias because I've been leading companies for 30 years. So, of course, I think, no, 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 the AI can't do what I do. Um, right. But uh, it's, I think it's interesting. You know, you can take the completely inverse approach to that, too. I think something that's really interesting when thinking about an AI agent in a leadership position is this quote unquote unbiased decision making. I think something we talk about a lot at Blue Cypress and within associations are experiments and innovation. And it seems like if we had an agent or a bot or something that could look at every experiment we've ever ran and tell us, you know, why certain ones succeeded and certain ones failed, and then that could assist our decision making in the future for running those kinds of experiments, I think that would be a big draw. And of course, as humans, we think, oh, well, we knew. We know what went wrong and what went right, but do we? Because we can't really consolidate all that information to be ready at all times to act on. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Mallory. And the idea of biases, whether you know in our species or with this emerging AI technology, are real things. And they come from a variety of, of places. And a lot of times they're actually unknown to the individual or individuals that are you know, affected by the biases in their decision-making processes. So I think one of the interesting things about this might be almost like countermeasures, where if you're more of an emotional thinker and you're highly emotive and you're also high empathetic, you can listen to people really well, you understand them, you can connect with people, but maybe you're not a great data person. Well, maybe the AI can be the counterbalance to you and say, hey, let's think a little bit more about you know the last... 10 pieces of data that you might have forgotten about at this point about this per person or this decision. And inverse is true too. Again, it's if I'm much more of a rational thinker and I approach the world with kind of a Spock-like logical thinking world, maybe the AI can step in and say, well, hold on a second. Have you thought about how that person feels? What, what, what's going on in their life? You know, and kind of coaches the leader to be a better leader. So I think, I think there's opportunity around that for sure uh, to spot bias in human decision-making. And I think that humans might also be able to see some some problems in, in AI proposed decisions, too. The follow up there, too, now that you have me thinking about this, though, is could the AI's training be biased inherently, depending on what data it's using to be trained? Absolutely. I mean, there's bias in every aspect of everything out there. Uh, our, you know, our biases are essentially the sum total of our collective experiences in life. And so if you think about what happens in a neural network, whether it's a biological neural network that's resident in our physical brains or in these AI models, they're essentially really efficient compression algorithms. What that means essentially is you don't literally retain all aspects of memory from birth until, you know, present day. You're retaining bits and pieces of that and you're connecting them in a way where there's essentially like a relevancy graph from one piece of information to the next where you know, sometimes a smell makes you recall a memory that's got nothing to do with what you're currently doing. And that's kind of how these networks work. Uh, both, you know, the, the biological versions that the, that the computer runs were, were inspired by as well. So the reason I point that out is 
biases come from this compression and they come from the source data as well. So AI is historically, it's been trained on, on what we call kind of real data or live data. You know, it's like documents or data that's been collected and curated by people. But AI is actually starting to generate a lot of data. So one of the fields of research in AI right now has to do with what's called synthetic data, where AI system one generates data and then AI system two is trained off of it. And that's like in a really simple example. And so if you want to train a new model, if you have an existing model that's really good at creating sample data, then now derivative AIs get trained off of that. And that introduces a whole bunch of interesting questions. My short answer to your question is, yeah, there, I mean, there's bias in everything. I think the key to it is questioning whether, it's not questioning whether there is bias, but having some degree of understanding of what those biases might be and mm -hmm. trying to just at least at a minimum understand that they're there. And in some cases you recognize, oh, hold on a second. All we've ever done is talk to big associations. Like say, for example, we've been working with associations that have over 50 million in annual revenue, and they're all saying this is the problem set they have. And so we as Blue Cypress decide we're gonna build a new consulting service targeting the quote unquote association market. And all of our data is from big associations. And then we go to market and we're talking to a $5 million a year revenue association. And lo and behold, what we're talking about doesn't resonate with them, even if it's a critical, uh, critically acclaimed service in big associations. So that would be an example of bias because we've been quote unquote trained on a data set that is not representative of the market we're going after. So I think that you will find these biases everywhere and it isn't realistic to say we're going to not be biased. It just doesn't work like that. I think the best we can look to do is to be aware of these biases and try to countermeasure them where it makes sense. So let's say hypothetically our AI agent CEO, just like the example that you gave, decided to create this go-to-market strategy based on all this data that we have, all this training it has, where we've mainly been talking to big associations in your context. And so we create this plan and it epically fails because it didn't take into account smaller associations, medium-sized associations. At that point, let's talk about the accountability. Who is wrong in that situation. If we have an AI agent CEO, who takes accountability? H how would that work? I mean, obviously there's no structure for it at this point in time, but what do you think about that? I, I don't know what the right answer to that question is. And I think that the question is, is why does that question matter, right? It's like, depends on what you're trying to do. I think if we're trying to like literally delegate the execution of business to AI agents entirely, and there will be these synthetic organizations that have no people in them that are just governed by rules and then ultimately executed by AIs that understand what those objectives are, you know, is there accountability for decisions like, and let's take about something bigger than just like an internal failure of business, but let's talk about an AI driven CEO or an AI CEO that decides to expand a physical business and open a new location. And that CEO decides to cut corners and not follow EPA guidelines and ends up poisoning the groundwater in that region. Where's the liability there, right? Really interesting types of real world problems that can come from these technologies. And I think that ultimately we as people have to hold the bag. We can't like, you know, look at it and say, oh yeah, no, the AI made that decision. It's not my problem. That's my, that's my personal opinion because otherwise I think there's ultimately no true accountability because it's just a machine at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of nuance to that though because ultimately there's, you know, there's things where people make uh, a choice to delegate things as a consumer of services to AI, like a great example is autonomous driving. So if you choose to purchase a Tesla and use their self-driving features, you are, you're essentially consenting to the risk of, 
you know, dying in a self-driving vehicle. Then again, I would also argue that if you get in a taxi cab in most major cities, you're also consenting to a, a reasonable probability of death. Right. Would you hire an AI agent in a leadership role? I don't know. I think that it's really hard for me to say as deep as I am in all this stuff. I think in the context of leadership, I would definitely hire AI agents and put them in place to give leaders more time to connect with people. You know, I am very much a hard-driving entrepreneur. I've done tons of stuff around computer science and finance and these quote-unquote, you know, so-called hard disciplines. But I think that the, the hard work is really in the soft skills arena. And I think that all of us can get better at that. So I think that if AI frees up more time to create true connection, it's not only better for business, but I, I feel like that's a better thing for all of us as people. So I definitely would use AI to create more available time for that type of activity for leaders. Would I delegate the entirety of a leadership role? I mean, the question I would even ask in that scenario is, is who is that AI leading at that point? Because if that tool, that AI has gotten that advanced, who is that AI leading? Are the, the subordinates under that AI other AI agents at that point? Or are they people, right? I don't know. This is not science fiction 2050. This is like the rest of this decade, what happens kind of question. Wow. Really interesting to think about. A little bit controversial, but I'm glad we took a deep dive there. The next topic we're covering today is President Biden's sweeping executive order on artificial intelligence. This week, President Biden took a significant step in shaping the future of AI in the U.S. with a comprehensive executive order. It's a roadmap that addresses everything from research and development to ethical considerations and workforce development. The overall purpose of the executive order is to ensure AI development and use is safe, secure, and trustworthy. It emphasizes federal investment in AI research and development, focusing on areas like safety, fairness, and transparency. The rest of the order is organized into different topics, and I want to highlight each of those briefly. The full fact sheet for the order can be found online, and we will be linking it in the show notes if you want to take a deeper dive. The first overall topic is strengthening AI governance. The order establishes the National AI Advisory Council, a high-level body to guide federal AI activities. It also directs agencies to develop methods for testing and evaluating AI systems for safety and performance. The order seeks to engage the American people. It wants diverse public input on AI topics for inclusive policymaking, and it's also calling for regular reporting. The order asks agencies to provide regular updates on AI activities for transparency. It also promotes AI education and training to prepare the workforce for the AI era. It emphasizes working with global partners to set AI standards and best practices. It also seeks to ensure that AI applications respect civil rights, prevent discrimination, and promote fairness. Amith, were you surprised to see this executive order? Do you think it came earlier or later than expected for you, or just at the right time? First, I'm really happy to see it. I think that having something is really good, and, and our country has been behind in terms of government guidance, government leadership, and artificial intelligence, full stop. Now, as far as the contents of this order, I do think it covers... Uh, critical topics. It's obviously pretty light on details. I haven't read the full order. It's 100 plus pages, but the fact sheet I think is illuminating in terms of its direction. And I'd encourage everyone to, to read it. The idea of governance to me is really important in the sense of establishing the fact that there needs to be governance more so than what the governance is going to be. 
One thing to keep in mind about an executive order is it's not the law of the land. It's not regulatory in the sense of like a legal framework that's been approved by Congress and signed by the president, but it does have legal meaning. And specifically, the biggest thing that it does that's a practical implication today is that it will immediately change the procurement process for the federal agencies that are directly under the president's control. And that's a big, big pot of money. And so if you want to do business with the federal government, you have to apply, you have to apply these rules immediately. Uh, and I think there's actually a little bit of a phase in time period that's actually baked in. But the point is, is that it puts a stake in the ground about governance. And I think that's an important first step. What I find super interesting, in addition to providing training resources for Americans to learn AI, which is, is so critical, and it's something that sh should really be an abundant resource that's shared with everyone, and not just within the United States, but globally. But it also, the site also talks about bringing your AI skills to the United States, which I think is one of the underappreciated aspects of what's made America so successful over a long period of time. And it's exciting to see that there's recognition that there are brilliant AI people all over the world. And hopefully this will pave the way to future legislation that will make it possible for more people to bring their AI skills to the United States at scale. So I found that exciting. I also was really encouraged by the fact that there's a desire to get the government engaged in using AI to make the government bureaucracy much, much more effective in what it does. So those are the highlights for me. I think the idea of being aware of where AI is used, that's one of the pieces of the puzzle that's described. It's really hard right now to know what's AI generated and what's not AI generated. In the area of images, uh, images and video, there's some work happening where in the next couple of years, uh, it's very likely there'll be some form of watermarking, which will allow us to know the origins of images and videos and if they were AI generated or not. Uh, but with, with text, that's a multi-year problem if it's even solvable. But at the moment, most AI researchers do not have any answers for high accuracy detection of AI generated content in, in the written form. So I don't know that that particular guideline has any chance of being not, not only respected, but really it's just not possible to implement at the moment. Do you think this executive order is setting the stage for more regulation? Or do you think this is setting the stage for kind of more of an open conversation and flourishing of the AI environment? Or is it both and? I think that it, it absolutely is setting the stage for regulation. There will be regulation. It's a question of what's the flavor of regulation that's to come. You know, with a technology as powerful as AI, uh, it, it, to me, it's inconceivable that there would not at some point be some form of regulatory framework around it. The question is, is what does that even look like and when might that occur? The reality is in this political environment, the probability of getting something done is probably pretty low. So what we have here with this executive order and maybe some follow on executive orders during this presidency, maybe all we have, which is concerning because I think it's an important thing for us to actually you know, codify into a true regulatory framework. But I think that Regulatory frameworks are a really interesting thing when you talk to different people about it because everyone's got an agenda around this topic. You know, some people look at regulation as this silver bullet to solving AI safety, and I think that's really not the case. It's you have to look at it from the viewpoint of can regulation stop people from doing bad things who intend to do bad things? And my opinion is in the and I think this is generally the view of most AI researchers is that there's really no way to stop AI. If you intend to do bad things with it, you know, the genie's out of the bottle already and open source models uh, to the extent that you even can regulate them at all. You know, it's a question of 
well, what would that even mean? And does that just slow down the legitimate actors and simply embolden the bad actors to be, you know, racing ahead of the people who are doing good? So I think there's those questions. So the folks that think that regulation is somehow the silver bullet, it's kind of like, oh, we'll regulate, you know, we're going to regulate uh, nuclear arms or we're going to regulate pharmaceuticals. Uh, it, it doesn't work like that in the context of AI for a variety of reasons. The other thing is, is I think there's a perverse incentive for some of the leading companies today to seek regulatory frameworks that are quite restrictive, which might sound counterintuitive. Because if I'm OpenAI or Anthropic or Microsoft, why would I seek to have the government regulate me? That sounds completely the opposite of what I'd want as a business. Well, the idea is this concept of regulatory capture, where you as the large player with lots of resources, dollars, people, and market leadership actually gain a significant advantage if a complex and difficult regulatory framework is enacted because it increases the barriers to entry for other people to come into the market. And so if you're anthropic, if you're inflection, if you're one of these companies that's raised many billions of dollars, or obviously one of the big players like a Meta, Google, Microsoft, et cetera, uh, that could be an interesting advantage. So when when people like Sam Altman from OpenAI say they believe regulation is, is important, is that because he really believes that or is it because that's a massive benefit for OpenAI? I'm not suggesting I know anything about Sam and what OpenAI really feels about this. I have no reason to believe they have you know really ulterior motives or anything like that. It's just there is a financial incentive for established competitors to have a regulatory framework in place that is quite strong. So that's interesting. Then the flip side is also let's think about what a strong regulatory framework means for AI innovation in general in our country. Will we be the world's leader in AI, which you could argue we're not uh, at this point. I think you could also make very strong arguments that we clearly are today. All the major AI foundation model companies are here in America. Uh, all of the significant research that's led to this has come from American labs. Certainly there's international labs that have contributed tremendously. But in terms of percentages, uh, we're clearly in the lead in certain categories. But that doesn't mean that we'll stay there. And so some people question if that's important or not. That's a different debate. But if we think it's important to maintain leadership in AI, can a restrictive regulatory framework still enable that? And I think that the short answer is it needs to, right? You need to have something that's there from a governmental perspective on safety, but provides for mechanisms for innovation to, to go. Um, because otherwise, we will be behind. There's plenty of places that do not have the rule of law in place when it comes to any of these safety concerns. Mm-hmm. When I think regulation in regards to AI, I think a lot about lawsuits against these major companies like OpenAI that perhaps use proprietary data to train their LLMs. Do you think there's ever a situation, Amith, where maybe there's a ruling saying that they did use proprietary data and they shouldn't have and that we ever go backward and lose access to something like GPT-4? I think it's possible. I mean, you know, it is possible that a judge says, you know, open AI is an example has infringed upon the intellectual property assets of these publishers. Uh, there is no remedy financially. The only remedy is to cease and desist use of the model, in which case, yes, we would have uh, no longer, nobody would have any access to that. And of course, there'd be a lot of derivative suits uh, that get filed around that. What's perhaps a more likely practicality is settlements or financial remedies where billions and billions of dollars are going to be changing hands and publishers will be rightfully compensated for the content that they've in, in the cases so far, you know, provided to these models without consent. But I think it's an interesting comment to talk about associations for just a moment specifically. Associations have incredibly good content. 
and it's it's not voluminous to the same extent as the public internet, but an association's content in a particular domain, such as a particular branch of science or engineering or a medical specialty or accounting or law or whatever the profession is, the association tends to have some of the best content, if not the best content in the world in that domain. That's valuable stuff. And so many associations content has absolutely been hoovered up into these models. And so I think associations should get in on the game and consider their legal options for monetizing what's already been harnessed from their IP without their consent. That's just a side comment. But on a go forward basis, I think associations, you know, once the legal framework is really worked out and it's not the Wild West, associations should have the opportunity to create licensing agreements where their own AIs that are trained on their content and uniquely are trained on their content as opposed to everyone's AI having access to it can in turn cooperate with other AIs and create a licensing revenue stream for the association. So that's an opportunity that I'm advising a lot of association CEOs and boards on right now where you know, how do you actually activate your intellectual property that's just sitting there for the most part? Well, if we train an AI bot on it and make that AI bot capable of being a resource to other AI bots, that could be super interesting and provide transactional revenue to the association, perhaps on an order of magnitude that by itself is sustaining for the association's long-term financial needs. So I think there's some exciting stuff there. But coming back to the idea of intellectual property protection, legal frameworks, that's part of the reason why this stuff is so critical is because there's really no guidance. The the United States Patent and Trademark Office uh, earlier this year issued a statement saying that copyright applies to human-generated content or things that are majority human content. And so that's the other side of the question is, if you use these models, are your works protected on a go-forward basis? And the short answer is we don't know yet. So it'll be great to have some answers to this stuff to actually have a set of rules we can we can work with. With the U.S. government coming up with its own AI strategy, I'll ask you this question, but I feel like I already know the answer. Do you think every single association needs to be creating an AI strategy of its own right now? I think the most important thing that an association can do right now is to create a clear roadmap for the next two years. Create a roadmap for 2024 at least, and that might be fine as a starting point, but preferably for 24 and 25, where I think of 2024 as near to medium term. And honestly, I think of 2025 as long term. And it used to be that five plus years was longer term in strategic planning, but AI is doubling at a six month clip rate. So, you know, so much is happening in the world. And that's not to mention the rest of what's going on in our dynamic world today. So creating an AI roadmap isn't a super detailed plan. That's a step-by-step, this is exactly what we're gonna do. It's more of a prioritization exercise. And so I think that, yeah, associations totally need to do that because you know, I talk to association CEOs and other leaders all the time and they're like, yeah, we're super blown away by these capabilities. It's really exciting, it's really scary. What do we do next? And I tell them two things. First thing I say is, get educated and spend some time and money and train your people. Get resources to your teams um, and train your boards and also maybe train your members. And if that's if that makes sense, it usually does. But the second thing is build a plan, like a high level one, just a roadmap. It's It doesn't need to be perfection. It's just a basic outline of what you're going to do and as importantly, what you're not going to do. So yeah, roadmaps, I think every association going into 2024, if you don't have a roadmap going for AI, going into 2024, that's like flying completely blind. Well, that was our third topic for today. I mean, AI roadmaps. What do you think are some common pitfalls that associations should avoid when creating the AI roadmap? It's a high-level strategy plan, but are there any regular pitfalls that you've seen thus far, at least? 
Yeah, I think there's there's a few things. So one of them is cultural. Associations like to please everyone. And so in a typical association meeting where staff and perhaps some volunteers get together, you know, they want everyone to get something in the mix, right? So associations are great at starting stuff or saying yes to things and have a really hard time saying no or killing things off. And you do not have the resources to go after, you know, someone, every, everyone, you know, getting something out of the mix. You got to be super selective. And, and I think you just need to set expectations in the front end that, listen, this stuff is moving so fast. We're only going to pick a couple of things, maybe only one thing to go experiment with at a time. And we're going to go do that really well. So number one is don't pick too many things. Narrow the focus. There's lots of ways of, you know, frameworks for thinking about how to narrow the focus. For example, you can analyze the impact level of a potential initiative relative to the effort level. So you might have something that is really high impact or potential impact and kind of low to medium effort level. A great example of that is turning on GPT-4 for everyone, paying 20 bucks a month or using Microsoft Copilot. Pretty high impact if you train on it, a fairly low effort and cost. If you want to completely rethink the way your association does business, maybe that's going to be a higher effort level. It might have really high impact, but it's a big thing. And do you really want to try to take that on when you know next to nothing about AI? Maybe not, because what you'll learn about with the lower complexity stuff will help you get better at the higher complexity stuff. So, so number one is prioritization. To come back to your question of problems people have is they try to take on too much. Number two, they, they shoot for perfection as opposed to progress. One of our core values at, at the company here is progress over perfection. We like to say that because it encourages us to always remember that our goal isn't to try to be perfect, but to just take that next step forward, put one foot in front of the other. And roadmaps are a great example of this. You're not going to have a perfect roadmap. It doesn't even need to look good. Don't worry about it being pretty when you present it to the board. The goal is to get a document together that outlines what was actually going to make a difference for you. So those are a couple of, of highlights of what I see people needing to do in the roadmap process. The other thing is, is bring someone in who knows AI pretty well. You know, most associations don't have a lot of in-house expertise. And even if you do, outside opinions are awesome. I mean, you know, in my own companies, I've got obviously a lot of experience with a lot of this stuff. I love bringing outside advisors, friends, consultants sometimes because they have a different diverse perspective. So think about that as well. It's a small investment of dollars and energy, and it can help you a lot. To your first point of prioritization, you said pick one thing and go with that. When you say thing, do you mean tool? You gave the example of ChatGPT, but besides ChatGPT, what are some other things, some tangible, quick, easy wins, maybe not quick, but easier wins that an association could do to kind of get buy-in from their staff? Well, I think the most important thing we have to do as leaders is provide a lot of training to our staff. Um, a lot of people say, oh, my staff's been here 20, 30 years and, you know, they don't they're not really technology savvy. And and I say, well, that's great because they're going to like AI even more because it doesn't require you to be super tech savvy. You can just can you communicate with people? Are you good at writing or, or even talking? Well, yeah, you can use these tools. And that's not been the case with tech up until now. It's been these complex user interfaces and lots of training. So the training I have in mind has actually more to do with just, it's almost like a Montessori school where you encourage people to like experiment with what they find interesting. So I think association leaders have a responsibility to their people to get them up to speed on AI. One of the, I don't know who to attribute this quote to because it's been circulating a lot, but I think it's absolutely on the mark, which is a person is not likely to be replaced by AI outright right now. Maybe that's eventually true, but right now it's more likely that an individual will be replaced 
by another individual who's really good at using AI. And so if you think about that, say, okay, well, I have people in my charge as a leader, whether it's one person or a thousand people, it is my duty to them to help them be prepared for this, whether they work for me or somewhere else. And so I think that on the roadmaps that associations put together, that has to be priority number one. And it's got to be an ongoing thing. This stuff's changing so fast, you have to continue to invest in it. So I think making that investment of really more than time than anything, some dollars, is the first thing people have to really dig into. And it's not this obligatory one hour long course or a webinar. It's like, you got to put the stuff into action to really learn it. What if someone listening to this podcast is thinking, sure, great, sounds good, but we don't really have any budget to dedicate to learning AI? Well, there's some great free resources out there. So if it's a money thing, first of all, the AI.gov website that we were talking about earlier, there are some resources for learning AI that the government's pointing to. If you go on LinkedIn, there's a bunch of free courses on learning AI at different levels, some at a very deep technical level, uh, some that are much more like prompt design kind of things. Uh, and then finally, I think what people have to get really comfortable with is Again, this isn't like learning how to use a new AMS or learning how to use even a complex marketing solution. This is learning how to like have a conversation with the tool. And, and that requires some, some help, but it's something that requires a lot more practice than it requires tr formal training. So part of that's the cultural idea of saying, we're going to get people practice time or kind of make them do it, right? Give them some homework and say, hey, between now and tomorrow, I want you to do something with ChatGPT or with Bing or with any of these tools. So there's a lot of work around culture that needs to happen is really what I'm saying. Absolutely. With the roadmap, it sounds to me like it's pretty top down in the sense that you have leaders coming together, crafting a strategy that they spread with the board and their staff. I know in your book, Ascend, Unlocking the Power of AI for Associations, you talk a lot about this framework of bottom-up change, where it starts kind of at the bottom and it works its way up. How do you see the balance between having the roadmap from your leadership and from a strategic perspective and then still having that bottom-up component? I think you need both. And, and they both exist in all organizations, uh, regardless of your awareness of these change changes happening from either direction. Um, or your consent to it, I think what you need to do as a leader is say, how can we encourage bottom-up change? You know, for every leader, whatever you define that as, by the way, if you define that as having a direct report, you probably have a three-to-one or a five-to-one ratio of non-leaders or people who don't have direct reports to those that do, depending on the org size. And the bigger you are, uh, typically the more that thins out in terms of the multiplier. So there's a lot more people who aren't in quote-unquote leadership roles than there are in formal leadership roles. And so what I say to that is, well, that's a lot of brain power. So what we need to do is encourage those people, give them very clear guidelines. So an AI policy is important. We don't want to just set them loose and have the Wild West thing happen. We want to tell them, hey, look, in the world of AI, here's some tools you can use. And this is the way you set them up to make sure our data is safe as an association. It's real basic things, but you, you put that out there. And you, then you encourage people, hey, within these guardrails of these tools that we've identified, we want you to experiment. We want you to play around. And if you have other tools you want to play with, please let us know. We'll evaluate them and give you feedback whether they're approved or not. I do think that's an important process because, you know, some of these tools, like a common thing, we talked earlier about Zoom's uh, assistant. Well, prior to that, and even now, there are a whole bunch of other third-party tools like Fireflies and Geek. And I think these, there's bunches of others where you see these things popping into meetings. 
And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You just invited a virus to attend our meeting. And I don't mean that seriously because I know a lot of these companies are legit. What I mean by it is, is you have no idea who these companies are. A lot of them are free. And if they're free, that means you're the product, you're not the customer. So, you know, there's all these other AI tools that are out there that are things that you need to be aware of and particularly around data. So create a framework that's just a real simple policy and then encourage your people to experiment and then highlight people who've experimented and learned something. Experimented and succeeded is awesome, but experimented and learned something, even if it wasn't the type of success we'd look for. Okay, cool. Let's go learn from that. So that's a very different culture than most associations have. Most associations are very traditional, hierarchical, top-down, not tolerant of mistakes. They basically don't leave room for error. It's more of, hey, we're a mature product. We have a manufacturing process almost. It's like a production line at the Ford plant. And we want a 0% error rate as our ideal scenario, right? Where there's no innovation happening on the assembly line at a Ford plant. You're putting that part in to the car exactly the same way every single time, or it's an error. And that's the mindset of a lot of the association processes. We've got to break that mold in order to encourage that bottom-up innovation. So what I'm hearing, essentially, the message here is get ahead of AI before it gets ahead of you. That's a great way to say it. Well, as we wrap up this week's episode, one thing I wanted to point out is that we are looking for listener input. So if you have a question that you would like us to answer on an upcoming episode, or if you have a topic that you think we should be covering, please share that with us. The best way to submit a question or topic to us is if you go to community dot sidecarglobal.com, which is Sidecar's free, publicly available online community. Within there, there is a group called Sidecar Sync, where we post each of the episodes. In there, you can create a post or you can comment on an existing episode, and we'll be monitoring that. So if you have a question, if you have feedback, if you have a future topic, please share with us and we'll make this show better with your input. We would love to hear from all of you. So please drop us a post, drop us a comment, and we will be answering those ideas, questions, concerns, challenges at the end of each episode. Thank you so much, Amith, for your insights today. And I will see you in Colorado. Thanks, Mallory. Thanks for tuning into Sidecar Sync this week. Looking to dive deeper? Download your free copy of our new book, Ascend, Unlocking the Power of AI for Associations at ascendbook.org. It's packed with insights to power your association's journey with AI. And remember, Sidecar is here with more resources from webinars to boot camps to help you stay ahead in the association world. We'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep learning, keep growing, and keep disrupting.